everybody. Welcome. It's Friday. It's Friday. We made it to Friday. How come I feel like that every Friday? <laughs> Do you? Something tells me you do too. I have a story about drinking on Friday a little bit later, so please don't go away before you get that one because um, it's actually super delicious and super unbelievable. And if you're a drinker, even if you're not, you're going to be like, what the what? Uh, that's coming up in a minute. First, so, uh, the, we have some more news about that little girl in upstate New York, Charlotte Senna. It turns out the man who they think may have been the kidnapper, right? The guy they uh, have charged with kidnapping. He may have planned this because he thought her grandfather was loaded. Let me repeat that. This guy pulled in because it just so happened that the little girl, Charlotte Senna, was stuffed in a cabinet inside his camper when they arrested him. Accused kidnapper. It is thought that it's possible he was planning this because Charlotte Senna's grandfather at one point was a millionaire. I'm going to give you the details on how he might have known that and why that might be possible. Not only that, tonight, uh, what it is like to have been stolen as a child, held against your will for days, and then been rescued. You're going to hear it from the horse's mouth. One victim uh, who suffered for days as a child, nine years old, recounting what it was like Did she think she was ever going to see her parents or family again? Or did she think she was going to die? And the moment the police stormed in and saved her, also, what is the road ahead for little Charlotte? Then, you know that Airbnb tenant from hell? If you were watching last night, thank you. (laughs) Secondly, if you weren't watching last night, I, like, lost my melon over this lady. Uh, She checked in to a guest house at this really nice um, Brentwood, California mansion. And she said, I'm just going to stay for a couple months. And she ain't gone. And it's over 500 days. And that guy who owns that house can't get rid of her. He's in the guest, she's in the guest house. He can't get rid of her. It is his worst nightmare. He is a dentist. And he tried to take her to court. And the judge threw his case out. This, you can't make this stuff up. She's suing him. $100,000. I nearly choked on my own words. She's suing him. For a relocation fee if you want me out of here. Yeah, I've been here 500 and some odd days. Yeah, I haven't paid for most of it. Um, but you have to pay me leave. Why aren't the courts helping him? Tonight you're going to hear from the dentist. The dentist speaks about what he's been through. What he thinks about that woman. Ugh. All right, squatter. I'm going to show you her face. And I'm going to say her name. Elizabeth Hershorn, Elizabeth Hershorn, Elizabeth Hershorn, Elizabeth Hershorn. <laughs> Just be careful of her if she comes anywhere near you or your stuff. Next, that thing I told you about drinking on a Friday night. Look, a lot of us do it, right? And you're probably okay about it, and you're probably a really good citizen about it. Um, but there's this lady in Ohio who I would think is a really good citizen because, oh, I don't know, she's the former mayor of an Ohio town. Um, But this is her in a good light, like sunny and nice midday. But there was another time midday where she was stopped by uh, the neighboring town's um, police officers. And she apparently was speeding and didn't have good tags. And they just wanted to, you know, tell her and ask her about it. Can I just show you like a little soupçon of what happened when the officer approached her car? Take a look. What are your driver's license at? No. No. Okay. All right. Go and put the car in park. Okay. Sure. Can you put the car in park? (laughs) 
Oh, no, she didn't. <gasps> yes, she did. She made a run for it. And there's the officer chasing her. It became a high-speed chase, my friends. Again, it's Friday night. Well, Friday night drink is okay. This is midday, like 12 in the afternoon. And this is a high-speed chase. It did not end well. I have two words, crash and arrest. But what you're going to wait for, for just a hot minute, is what she said when he was trying to get her out of the car. Can you guess? Can you guess what the former mayor said when the officer then did try to arrest her after she crashed? I have the whole body cam. You're going to see it in just a moment. So stay tuned for that. Let's go to Charlotte uh, Senna, though, because the guy arrested, Craig Ross Jr., suspected of kidnapping, charged with it. Could be lots more charges coming. We're still waiting on that. In fact, I was waiting tonight to see if they were coming through, and they still could. Um, they are now saying that it's possible Charlotte was forced to write her own kidnap ransom note. Let me repeat that. There is reporting that Charlotte, nine years old, stolen off her bike from a, an upstate park where she was camping with her family, was forced to write her own ransom note that police say he dropped off in her mailbox at 420 in the morning with his fingerprints all over it. We also now know that it's possible, um, according to the DailyMail.com, that she was targeted because her grandfather had actually uh, been a very wealthy man at one point and may still have been. When I say very wealthy man, that's relative to a lot of people, but he had a settlement many years ago, and it was like $2.2 million. This is 1998, though, okay? It's a long, long time ago. 1998, he had a sledding accident. He got a $2.2 million settlement from the town, so that's very public. And there is reporting that it's possible he knew about that multi-million dollar settlement from 1998 and that he may have targeted Charlotte because he knew the family had money or thought the family had money. Can I just tell you that first degree kidnapping, we looked it up. You don't want to face first degree kidnapping, friends, not in New York, probably anywhere. But in New York, it is a, well, it's a class A felony. And that means it's punishable by a term of 15 to 40, 15 to 40 which is 15 being the minimum. You are not leaving before 15. You don't even get to say hello to the parole board. 15 years. Because it's so much more serious when you have a ransom note. That puts it into the, the Class A, right? Class A felony. First degree kidnapping. That's what this fella is facing. And I don't like the uh, I don't like his odds, given that, you know, the little girl was in his cabinet. He's in his underwear when they take him down. And it's aggressive. And he gets minor injuries in this dynamic, uh, it, you know, that's what they call it, a dynamic event, when they took him down. Um, the other thing is, is, there's some reporting that there was advanced planning, potentially, because that camper that he was in, again, he's at his mom's property, she lives in the double wide, and behind the double wide is the camper, and he lives in the camper. Okay, He's fallen upon hard times, lost his home, blah, blah, blah. But it turns out that he had been covering the windows of the camper with tarps months ago, months ago, and that he had just moved into the camper weeks ago. What that says, I don't know. That's for a jury. His ex is claiming that he may have known Charlotte, and this is going to make you just throw up in your mouth. He may have known Charlotte because his own 11-year-old daughter played softball on the same fields that Charlotte did. And, uh, this guy, Craig Ross Jr., took his kids to the same state park to go camping. <laughs> Just, I, I don't even know, like, I need a moment on that. 
The New York Times had this to say about Craig Ross Jr.'s upbringing. Apparently, they talked to some neighbors, and the neighbor said this. A neighbor who has lived next to the Ross family for years said the family, with an absentee father and four children, was often chaotic. The neighbor, who did not want his name used because of the sensitivity of the situation, recalled a hungry young Craig sometimes coming to their house for meals. There is one other nugget. Don't get too wild about this one, though. It's a huge headline, but it may not mean much. They are looking into two unsolved murders from 2003 and 2005, not too far away, Jennifer Hammond and Christina White. Um, those murders are unsolved, and so they are looking at Craig Ross Jr., but that is routine. It's not that they have any leads. They don't have a tip. It's just that it's routine. They got this guy, so they're going to check him out in relation to that. No doubt Charlotte has a long road ahead of her. Katie Beers knows all too well what Charlotte likely went through and what Charlotte is going to go through for years after this ordeal because she was kidnapped as a kid. Katie was taken at age nine, same age as Charlotte, by a friend of the family, and she was held underground in a bunker for 17 days until she was rescued. And Katie Beers joins me now. Katie, thank you. And you know what? I think I've just heard that Alicia is available now. You know, Alicia, I was about to do an introduction to you, but I heard we did not have your signal. I should let our audience know you yourself were also kidnapped at age 13 by someone you met online. Your kidnapper live streamed himself torturing you in a basement before you were rescued by police. I am so thankful that both of you are here to help me navigate what Charlotte may be going through and, and has gone through. Katie, can I begin with you? Um, you were held underground for 17 days. Charlotte was almost 48 hours, 11 minutes shy of 48 hours. But at nine years old, I'm sure every minute feels like days. Can you just walk me through what it was like in those first two days and then the subsequent days? The, she didn't know her abductor. And for me... That is something that is kind of huge. I knew my abductor. I had known him for my entire life. So I had a little bit of a relationship, per se, with him. Um, Charlotte, I can't even imagine what she was going through, given the fact that not only is she ripped away from a loving family, but now she is with somebody that she has no idea who they are, what they're capable of, or what their intentions are with her. There's just so much confusion when you're a child. Um, you want to think the best of an adult. You give them every benefit of the doubt, even when your tummy is turning, you know, and something inside you says something's wrong, but you really do believe in adults. Alicia, you were held in a dungeon for four days, raped and tortured by your abductor, a man you met online. I want to ask you the same question. Ostensibly, that was a stranger, too, and you were held captive. What were your thoughts in those first days and then the ensuing days? Survival. And the strength of the human spirit is so strong that you have no idea what you're capable of until you are in a situation like that. And it's not necessarily that you may even be thinking logically, but if you can just get to that next second, that next minute, maybe you'll get to that next hour and you'll get to that next day. And the whole point is to stay alive. If you're alive, you can get out of the situation possibly, that you could find a way out to escape or that you could be rescued. Even at 13, you're, you're having those extraordinary 
grown-up survivor instincts just to survive. It's um, it's pretty remarkable. And it, there may be some point where Charlotte does tell the story of what she endured for those 48 hours. And God, I hope um, that, and, and this is so strange to say, I hope that it was just um, a ransom issue, that he just wanted money. He doesn't have any sex offenses in his past, but the the abuse that this child went through just in being stolen uh, is certainly enough. Mm-hmm. Katie, thinking about what she will go through now for the rest of her life, I mean, you were nine as well, so you've had years to try to cope with what you went through. Help me understand what her journey is about to become. It's definitely going to become a journey of healing. Um, from what I've read and heard, It sounds like she has a very um, close-knit family and community, and that is going to be huge, absolutely huge in her recovery. Um, She's going to need the people that love and support her to rally around her, to um, give her the space that she needs, but also know that she is safe and secure. But Alicia, I mean, the, the, the trauma, the PTSD, the, the terror, the trust issues, all of the things that I'm just thinking off the top of my head, are they survivable? Can they, can they be dealt with through therapy and, and great families, or will they always be there? It will always be something that happened to her, but it is not who she is. It does not need to define her. And I truly hope that if she does choose to share her story, that it is her choice and that she knows that she never has to share it, that this is her healing journey journey and her healing journey alone and her family's as well, but that she does have that support from her family and the close-knit community, but also that she does have that space and that privacy, that this is her story, her journey. And though you may have prayed for her as a community, you may have been there, you may have shared posters, you may have searched for her that she needs that time and that space, that she doesn't owe anybody her story. It's funny, when you say those things, I'm thinking of Elizabeth Smart and the things that she said um, after her remarkable uh, journey and recovery from her nine-month ordeal. She's got remarkable wisdom as well, and maybe this family can can speak with her at some point because she's quite an advocate for children the same way you both are. Um, Katie, can I ask you about the, the police rescue? I mean, I'm so glad you're both here so I can talk to you, thank God, because the, you know, the overwhelming majority of children who, who disappear aren't found after 48 hours, and so this is why Charlotte's story is so massive, and it's why it's such a delight to see both of your beautiful faces. Um, Katie, the, the moment those police, or at least your rescuers, I'm not sure if they were police first, but describe that for me and what you thought was happening. So on the 17th day of my abduction, um, ununiformed men came down into the dungeon where I was being held. And um, over the past 17 days, I had tried to get my abductor to release me. I tried to manipulate him in a way to try to get him to um, just anything to make him want to release me. And when these officers came down into the dungeon, they were plain clothed and they just told me that I was safe. And I didn't believe it because in the back of my head at nine, well, 10 years old at that point, I was concerned that maybe 
my abductor was playing a game with me. Maybe he was going to be selling me or letting these men abuse me in the way that he had. Um, but then after two more times of them saying, you're safe, get your stuff and come with us. I grabbed all of my three belongings that I had in the dungeon with me. And I went um, and crawled out of the dungeon. There were then plain clothed officers standing above um, helping me out. And it was kind of surreal because most everybody that I remember was in just complete plain clothes. Um, so I really didn't believe that I was being rescued until I was actually in the cop car um, leaving the residence. It's just so unbelievable. It's almost like, I mean, it's like you're describing a movie, not your actual life and memory. Mm -hmm. Alicia, what was that moment like for you? Uh, you know, Katie was very clear about plain clothes people coming into that dungeon and not believing it because I'm assuming you were already a changed person. What about you, um, Alicia? How did, how did it happen for you? So listening to Katie, I can absolutely relate to that because I had thought that he had sent people to to kill me, that I was in at a point that I had lost, I'd lost hope. And I was holding on to it, yes, and I hoped I would be rescued, but I didn't necessarily believe it. And when they broke into that house, I had actually tried, I was chained to the floor at the time, and I tried to hide underneath a bed because I thought that he had sent people to hurt me. And... I tried to stay as quiet as possible, and I heard a man say, movement over there, crawl out from underneath the bed, and I did, and I tried to put my hands up because he had told me to, and I was looking at a gun, and I thought that this is it. This is a moment I'm going to die, and then I saw it was law enforcement, but I was written on the back of his jacket, and I knew that the nightmare in that way was over, that I was going to be rescued, but I still second-guessed it the whole time. What if this isn't real? What if I'm dreaming? It 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 is surreal. Katie put it correctly, and it does sound like a movie, but it isn't. It, it's our lives, and and Charlotte went through a truly traumatizing experience, and the the rescue process is another part of that trauma. And she is so lucky to be here because in a stranger abduction like that, many children are recovered, thankfully. Because I want to share that as a message of hope. Many, many children are recovered when they go missing. But when it comes to a stranger abduction or a predator that is sexually violent, the stakes are very high. And that's when it becomes really a miracle. Thankfully, those are somewhat rare, but clearly they do happen. You can see that by the faces on your screen. It does happen. You do need to be careful. But there is always hope in every single case. And many children are returned home. Yeah, but I was just going to say all all three faces on the screen. Charlotte was on the screen, and um, but it is just uh, it really buoyed our spirits when we went to air saying she's been found. But you're right, there is just such another another whole side of this journey ahead of her. Speaking of that, Katie, you're a mom. Um, wow, I I just wonder how you. I mean, there's a million questions I have, but I only have about a minute left. But I just wanted to know how this has affected you as a mom and and how protective you are. I try very hard not to be a helicopter parent because I know that it'll drive my children crazy. Um, my son is 14 and my daughter is 12. 
So they are at such tender ages right now where I am super aware of what they're doing and whom they're with. Um, It drives them crazy, but I don't let them go with anybody that I don't know or that I haven't vetted. All of their babysitters throughout their childhood have been uh, close family friends of my husband's or somebody that I've known personally. They've never been in a situation where I've let them alone with strangers just because of my own hesitations. It makes perfect sense. You two are just spectacular ambassadors for helping people understand what's really at stake here for the Senna family and for Charlotte. I am so, so appreciative of this interview, and I hope you'll come back again because I think we're going to continue to cover um, Charlotte and her family and, of course, what's ahead for the, for the suspected kidnapper. Thank you both so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Wow. Uh, Katie Beers and Alicia Kozak joining me live on that story. Just spectacular women in so many ways. Coming up after the break, uh, this story blew up online. It was a headline in every paper, on every newscast. The Airbnb renter from hell. A woman who just would not leave a Brentwood, California guest house for over 500 days. This man couldn't get rid of her. Finally, he is speaking. The host who couldn't shake. The Harvard grad who moved in, wouldn't leave, and apparently had done it all before. His story next. If I were Sasha Jovanovich, I would be like the coyote in the Roadrunner series with like the Acme TNT. And that's what I would do to my renter in my guest house. Of course, I'm speaking metaphorically. But that guy right there is a dentist in Brentwood. He's got a really nice million, multi-million dollar mansion. And he fixed up his guest house and put it on Airbnb, like lots of us do. And this lady came along named Elizabeth Hershorn, Elizabeth Hershorn, Elizabeth Hershorn. I'll say it three times so you never forget that lady's name and do not forget her face. She said, I want it for, uh, you know, extended period of time. She paid up front and then she never left. And she's still there. Over 500 days later, she's still there and she's not paying rent. He's trying to get, up, get her out of there and he can't. And the courts aren't helping him. And she's using all these loopholes about COVID and then uh, some other business about being injured in some way. Whatever it is, she's using every play in the book. And she's done it before in the Bay Area. She's a Harvard grad, so she knows what she's doing. But this guy, Sasha Jovanovich, seems to have no rights in his own home. Can't get rid of her. And he's finally speaking. Thank goodness, because I've been dying to hear from him. Here he is speaking to uh, our affiliate KTLA. She came into our home as an Airbnb guest. Um, We had only decided to uh, offer part of our home, the guest house, to Airbnb after the Getty Center fires. Uh, I've owned the home uh, since 1995. We never did that. But... um, after what we had gone through and we had experienced a really beautiful home on Airbnb that they shared with us, I said, why not? And we had great experiences. And then this person came who um, uh, wanted or needed a six month lease, which we hadn't done before, but yeah, we thought maybe that's okay. You know, uh, it's, it's, we can, we can do this. And she seemed all okay. And, and um, no, 
nothing that we could notice that there was something wrong. This is the part where I'm not really the um, very knowledgeable because obviously I'm not a legal person. I'm more a healthcare professional. Um, but uh, there, there is reasons that I, like you, do not understand. And um, there were some uh, technical things that that the the tenant then pulled, which were um, had to do something with occupancy. And you know, obviously, I have an occupancy a permit because I built my home. 13 years ago, uh, fresh from the ground up. And um, and then like, you know, there, there was some technical issues with a shower. One and a half year uh, after we started the eviction uh, and she's still there um, without making any move or any kind of reconciliation. She's just, she's just trying to, you know, basically get a settlement and, and the settlement that she uh, at some point had, you probably have seen that she's, she requested in the end like uh, a six-figure settlement, uh, over 100000 But it was much higher when we went to the court one time. She was asking close to 200000 You really feel terrible, to be honest, because obviously, uh, especially Los Angeles, we know the housing crisis, we know the homeless situation, and I know how many colleagues and how many uh, people have great homes that they don't use, maybe a guest house or an ADU. And, and I feel like, you know, we want to share. I'm sure there's other people who want to share their homes. But if things like this happen and the city cannot protect us and the legal system cannot protect us, uh, I mean, it's hard. And like what what I mean, I, I feel terrible. I mean, it's really like uh, you're trying to help or like do something and then you get kind of stabbed. That's Sasha Jovanovich. I feel terrible for him. I want to get Matt Murphy in here. He's an attorney and a former prosecutor in Orange County, California. Matt, it, you know, this is nuts. It just defies logic. And I feel like the law is supposed to be there to protect us. But there's a silly series of loopholes that Elizabeth Hirshhorn is taking advantage of. What are they exactly? Do you know? And are they unique to California? Well, one thing, just to begin, that $100,000 that he's talking about is a little unclear. That's money she's demanding from him. Just ponder that for a second. So she has she's lived rent-free yeah. for a long time. She's demanding that money from him in order to settle the case. So, so just as a starting point. And yeah, what happened in the spring of 2020 in Los Angeles County, where I practice, is the, the county put together a moratorium on evictions as a way of... Um, uh, trying to stave off some of the problems with COVID. So it was an emergency ordinance that that coincided with the declaration of emergency. And uh, it, it was well-intended. But as you can imagine, in a city that large, there are plenty of people who don't want to pay rent. And um, in, took advantage of it. Yeah, and uh, absolutely took advantage of it. And, uh, you know, and I don't know enough about their lawsuit. I've read some of it. But, um, you know, uh, there are... It was lifted in April of this year. And so the civil courts in Los Angeles right now are an absolute mess. Post-COVID, they're a mess. But only in April could the bulk of these landlords start suing to basically evict people and to try to get back rent. And people, there are people out there in Los Angeles who literally did not pay rent for three years. So a very well-attended well, ordinance. She- yeah gone amok and she's claimed some disability issues as well i I really feel for him and i just think all people who now want to be airbnb hosts need to read a lot of the the fine print man want to have you on again loved having you thank you for this i'm glad because you're a california guy so i needed to hear it straight from you thank you thank you so much happy to happy to help have a good weekend matt murphy joining us live from uh from california and still to come tonight 
Uh, this is what happens when police officers pull over VIPs. Very important people, like the former mayor of their neighboring town. Where did your driver's license at? No. No, okay. All right. Go and put the car in park. Okay. Sure. Okay, put the car in park. Yeah, put the car in park does not mean put the window up and take off. But that is a former mayor. I'm about to take you on this police chase. You will not believe how it ended. And can you guess what she said to the cop when he tried to yank her out of the car once and for all? <laughs> I think you know. <laughs> I think you know. But you're going to see it for yourself next. Kathy Lux used to be the mayor of North Royalton, Ohio. But on September 27, a few weeks ago, uh, she was not the mayor. She was the former mayor. And she was driving in the town next door to where she used to be the mayor. She was driving in Parma, Ohio. And she got pulled over by the police. And they wanted to know why her tags were expired and why she was speeding. And this is how the uh, encounter with the former mayor of North Royalton, Ohio went. Feast your eyes. Hello. Hi. Um, let's go ahead and pull in this parking lot. That sound good? Okay. No. What's that? Why? I guess you're going 43 and a 25. What's that? What's no? And your plates are expired. No. Do you have a drive license with you? No. Okay. Where's your drive license at? No. No. Okay. All right. Go and put the car in park. Okay. Sure. Okay, you put the car in park. Yeah, yeah. 
No. Let's stop. This is my car. Are you hurt? Yeah. What's hurting? Everything. Everything. Go ahead and have a seat. Have a seat up here. You, you are such... No. Are you at Red Ginger? No. What? No. What you're doing is wrong. No, it's, uh... Burger. What you're doing over the bridge of Pearl. Get up there. Have a seat. All right, I'll call What you're doing is wrong. Thank you. Okay, have a seat. Come on. What you're doing is wrong. Come on. I want my stuff. I will. Get up and have a seat. Come on. No, I want my stuff. No, we got to get up here. That's not how it works. Come on. Listen. Let me have a seat. No. No. Let me tell you. Put your foot up there and set up. No. Let me tell you. That's how it works. Have a seat. Just one, that's it. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah, you're just gonna slow down. She's detained. Could I please have my stuff? You will in a second. Could I please have my stuff? In a second. In my phone. Please. Could I, could I please? Yeah, have a seat. I told you, I get it for you. Please start heading over to John Muir, 5331. What? 24 for a first grader, W. Suicide is agitated. The staff has the that they retained. You're not remember taking off? I'm sorry, restraint. He's in the hallway. 5531 West 24. You know what? I was the mayor of the city of North So I thought she was going to say, do you know who I am? But she just went ahead and said it. I was the mayor of North Royalton. That was 99 to 07. She's not the mayor anymore. She is instead, uh, well, she was an inmate because she got booked and taken to the Huskow. And here are the charges. Uh, driving while under the influence. Speeding. Open container of alcohol. Maybe the stuff in her car. Um, expired license plate. And this one, failure to comply. That one I take to be Latin for, you took off on us, lady, and we had to chase you and you slammed into a truck. I'll keep you posted on what happens with, do you know who I am, Kathy Lux. Okay, coming up next. Um, we are finally hearing all that stuff that was said on the body cam when Dwayne Keefe D. Davis was busted in Vegas last week. We couldn't make it out at first when we heard the body cam in the breaking news last night, but now... We have it all. We're going to play it after the break. And we're going to talk to DJ Vlad, the man that Keefe confessed to five years ago on YouTube. But why was this the moment that police were waiting for when Keefe D had already spilled his guts to the cops over a decade ago? DJ Vlad's going to set us straight next. If you were watching last night, we had breaking news because the body cam from the Vegas police came in of the arrest of Dwayne Keefe D. Davis for the murder of Tupac Shakur. We couldn't hear everything. And it was, you know, we had to blur out the faces of the cops that can't be identified. But we went over it with a fine-tooth calm. And now we're able to tell you exactly all the things he said, including the moment that the police asked him if they knew why they were there to arrest him. Oh, man. 
seated in the back of a squad car. I want to play it for you so you can hear what Keefe D said. Take a look. So what they got you for, man? Uh, oh, yeah. Biggest case in uh, Las Vegas history. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like recent? Uh-huh. September 7th, 1996. So I thought we were going to have the words there up on the screen. If you couldn't uh, understand it, they said, you know what we're here for? And he said, um, the biggest case in Las Vegas history. Ooh-wee. So, look, um, maybe he was surprised he was arrested, but he'd been confessing for, like, ever, five years in books and, and, you know, YouTube videos and all the rest. And he actually gave an interview to the police in 2009, 14 years ago. He coughed it all up for an immunity deal. And maybe he figured he had immunity. Because he started talking like crazy. He talked to DJ Vlad at length. And it's really what he said to DJ Vlad that got him in all this hot water. Just spilling his guts about what happened to Tupac uh, way back 27 years ago. Have a listen to, um, to this interview from July of 2019. They're talking about getting the gun, being in the Cadillac. And this starts with DJ Vlad stating what Keefe D wrote in his own book. Take a listen. Based on what the book says, uh, Zip... Uh, gave you a Glock, gave you guys a Glock, and you guys tossed him in the back seat. And uh, Bubble Up was a driver, and uh, Baby Lane and Freaky were in the back seat. We were just all in the car together. Okay. This was the white Cadillac. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are driving around, and then you hear these girls say, Tupac, Tupac. No, uh, we coming up, uh, what's the name? What's that, Flamingo? Yeah, I think that's Flamingo. We was coming up Flamingo and, uh, got to the light. We used to go, uh, drink and smoke some weed. And he happened to be hanging out the window. He was hanging out the window like he was in a parade. Tupac? Yeah, he was. So what happens next? And we just came and shit. I ain't gonna go into details like that. You know what I'm saying? Joining me now is the man who laid out that whole sequence of events more than four years ago for VladTV.com. DJ Vlad is with me now live. It's great to have you. I'm sure that you're sort of just astounded at the last week and everything that's happened, Vlad. I am more curious to ask you, if you had all of that nicely laid out, why was your interview and his book all the ticket to arrest? When Keefe D himself had said all of this back in 09 to the cops to get immunity from a trafficking uh, charge. I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, Greg Kading was the one that really led that investigation and got the proper agreement from Keefe. Uh, I guess it was 14 years ago. And uh, from what I understand, I interviewed uh, Greg about it. He handed it over to a Las Vegas PD and also LAPD and so forth. But no one really went forward with it. I mean, according to him, um, his theory, and of course, it's just a theory, was that at the time, Las Vegas was trying to rebrand itself as a family-friendly destination. You know, it wasn't like the the usual, what we see today of what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. They're trying to get families and kids and go there, and to actually go there and spend money. And having a bunch of rappers shooting each other in the middle of the street, you know, with a court case that was going to drag on for two, three, four years was obviously bad for business. So it seems like, according to him, that they swept it under the table until... Well, you know, do, you, do you wonder, happened. though, if the confession to you and then the confession in his book, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if, if Keefe D thought, 
I got immunity from saying all this stuff when I said it to the police to get out of that trafficking charge. I, I gave them all this business about what happened, you know, on the strip with Tupac. Do you think that Keefe D thought immunity would be forever and anywhere so that he could say these things, these confessions to you and in his book and still be covered by immunity? Because we all know the only thing that you're covered is what you say to the cops, not what you say to the public. I've got about 20 seconds left. Yeah, I mean, a proper agreement is only supposed to last uh, that particular day. If you say it again, from what I understand, it can be used against you. Um, but ultimately, I think there was him trying to clean up his name because once the audio you know, started to release, everyone started calling him a snitch and so forth. So I think there was a degree of wanting to clear up and give his side of the story, which is what the book was about. And then my interview, which happened right around the same time as the book. Well, he may have not liked what uh, Greg Kading's book said, the the investigator, because there's some word that he was, you know, got his nose out of joint and wanted to set it straight in the public. And it's like, don't. <laughs> Better to. Whoosh. Hey, DJ Vlad, will you come back and talk to me again? Because the case is only just beginning and uh, you're one sure. of the guys who knows the most about it. Sure. No problem. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Have yourself a great weekend. Have yourself a great Friday night. Be a good citizen. And if you get pulled over by the police, please don't don't do what that former mayor did. <laughs> Meantime, stay tuned for Cuomo. Uh, Brian Enton still in it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.